Church, open your Bibles today to the book of Acts. We're going to be in the book of Acts again today, Acts chapter 13. Missionaries have some of the most difficult lives that we can imagine. They struggle with language, they struggle with culture, there's homesickness at times, there's misunderstandings, there's frustrations, and yet there are times, there are kingdom moments in the lives of missionaries, well, that, that are just awesome. It's what obviously keeps most of them going is those moments in which something special happens and God really uh, intervenes in a life. I have some friends. Their names are Dan and Dina Kroll. I actually married them. They were my very first wedding years ago. They're still married. That's good news, so I like that. Um, they are missionaries who've been in Central Asia for more than 20 years, very uh, veteran missionaries. And they wrote a great book. I've got it up here on the screen for you here. It's called Roads, Road Scholars, 20 Years of Getting Schooled by the Silk Road. And uh, they are humble people. They're real people. If you've ever wanted to read a book about missions, I'm up for older biographies of William Carey and Amy Carmichael. I, I'm good for that. But if you want to read a very modern take on stories that are happening today, this is a great read. Little short chapters, there's 28 days, it's kind of more of a devotional read. And today I want to tell you about some of their early years in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. Dan and Dina were on staff there, they were serving there among predominantly college students. And Dan was in a Kyrgyz theater, he said, struggling to uh, see in the midst of the kind of the dim lighting trying to teach as best he could at that point in Russian. They would switch over and speak predominantly Kyrgyz later, but this was kind of early on and they were still speaking Russian and Dan was doing his best in Russian. He said that a man entered the theater and he said, uh, he came in and sat down and immediately Dan said, I've got to meet that guy after the service or that, you know, the, the, the little talk he was giving. And uh, he went up to him and found out that his name was Baish and that he had actually come into the theater on accident. He was looking for the bathroom and, and, and he'd stumbled into the theater. He'd uh, suppressed, he said, his biological urges long enough to be able to stay and listen to a, probably a talk he wasn't really much interested in. But he said, we struck up a conversation and we began to meet on a regular basis and we had tea together most weeks. He said, we began to share life stories. We began discussing the oddities of each other's culture. And he said, one of the no things he noted about me is I carried a brown tattered bag with me everywhere I went. And his friends would look and say, oh, there's my American friend, the one that carries the brown tattered bag. And he thought, what could be in that bag that would be that important? Well, he said, one day over tea, a question came to me I, I wasn't quite expecting. And the question came to me, Dan, do you think Jesus is returning soon? Whoa, out of nowhere comes this question. And he says, I pulled out of my brown tattered bag my Bible. And I opened to Matthew 24, verse 14. And I read to him, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all creation, and then the end will come. And he says, I tried to explain as best I could that God is waiting in order that all of the nations might have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And I told him, I said, in short, I don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back, but if recent history is any indication, his return could be right around the corner. Baish lowered his head and he became silent. I took in the solemnness of the moment as long as I could, and then I asked Baish, 
Do you want to ask Jesus into your life so that you're ready when he comes back? Baish responded with a silent nod. Do you want to ask him right now, Baish? More silence and then a curious reply. No, I'll do it next Tuesday. I was perplexed. I didn't know what to say. Was this some kind of a cultural cue that I missed? All I could do was say, okay, and say, will we meet or can you meet the following Wednesday, the next Wednesday after that day of Tuesday? And he said, yes. What I didn't realize was that the following Tuesday was Kurban Ait. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. A Muslim holiday in which the sacrifice of Muhammad, of, uh, excuse me, the sacrifice of Abraham and his son was celebrated by followers of Islam. I watched in the public square as most male men from Kyrgyz culture showed up and he said white-robed teachers with headwear corresponding to their preferred flavor of Islam talked of singing knives and magical sheep. Several thousand men of all ages kneeled and bowed in synchronized choreography. Several thousand men minus one. Baish. Baish foresaw Tuesday's empty dormitory as the opportunity to bow his knee as well. In the solitude of his vacant room, he poured out tears for the sins he knew he had committed before God and others. He recognized that just as the ram was provided as substitution for Abraham's son on the altar thousands of years before, now Jesus was offering himself as a substitute on the altar of God's wrath. That Tuesday, Baish received the payment of Christ for his sin and experienced justification, eternal life, and the internal peace that comes with salvation. When we met that next Wednesday, Baish was filled me in on the decision and why he had waited until that Tuesday to do it. I congratulated him and I welcomed Baish into the family of God. Friends, that is why we are at this work of spreading the gospel to all nations. It's because we care about people like Baish. Last week I told you that we are rebuilding something that's important to CCF and is important to all of us here today. We are rebuilding our missions efforts, our approach to the way that we're going to go about missions. Last week I told you about our values. There are six of them. And we handed out a card to you today on your way in. If you don't have one of those cards, I want to commend, first of all, Pastor Nick for designing this uh, little trifold brochure for you as well as uh, printing that. And believe me, there was no small amount of work in that. So I thank him for that. If you don't have one, just raise your hand and Nick will come around and he'll give you one of those. He'll slide up and down the aisles and make those uh, available to you. And once you open that up on the inside, you're going to notice that on the first fold is our values. Last week, I shared those values with you and a way to remember those values. It's CCF, Are You Ready? as the little, uh, little catchphrase acronym that we remember those by. And I've got those values that are up on the screen behind me right now. We are compelled. We want our efforts to be church-wide. We want them to be focused, relational, among the unreached people that haven't had a chance to hear. And we are willing to, well, take on some risk in order to accomplish that. 
I also have behind me a picture of the team that worked at this for 11 months. Last week, we congratulated them and thanked them with some applause. We won't do that again today. But I just wanted to bring that team back into your attention again because they worked at this for a long time. And and they had prayer and even disagreement at times in order to get to the space where we are today. And so I I have a a gratitude, a a debt of gratitude to those individuals and the work that they've done. and, And you do also. So what I'm sharing with you today is really the culmination of, again, all of that work. Well, this week, we're going to go over the five priorities. Nick's still making his way. If you need that, he'll come down your aisle. Uh, We're working over the culmination of that, and we're going to talk about, again, these five priorities that we have for uh, neighbors and nations. Let me go ahead and remind you of our mission, and we normally use shorthand for our mission. I've got that on the screen for you also. Our shorthand for our missions is we want to make maturing disciples of Jesus. And we say that often enough that I'm guessing you probably have that down, but there's two more key sentences to our mission that are important. We want to make maturing disciples of Jesus who live in Christian community. So again, it's not Lone Ranger stuff, but we're in this together, and bring the hope of the gospel to the world. And that second little phrase that talks about the kind of disciples we want to make is where we focused our efforts over the last year and said, if we were to explain that in more detail of you know, bringing the hope of the gospel to the world, how would we do that? And how would we go about doing that? And that's really what I want to, again, bring to your attention today. I want to bring clarity and I want to build plans around that aspect of bringing the hope of the gospel to the world. Well, to do that today, I want to uh, start by telling you about the very first missionaries that were ever sent in the New Testament, and we find that story in Acts chapter 13. Let me go ahead and read that, and then we'll uh, explore that a bit together. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is also called Niger. Uh, Eutychus of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. I have a little a map here behind me and the map shows you where Antioch was in comparison to Jerusalem. You'll notice there Antioch's kind of that blue uh, highlighted city. It's up the coast from where Jerusalem is and where Israel is and that's kind of some of the cities of the known world at the time the Bible was being written. Rome being one of the major cities all the way on the left hand side and they're the ones that are the empire that controls all of that area. It's about 300 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch, and that may not sound like much distance today with airplane travel and cars, but in this day of walking, 300 miles will be about a 15-day journey. So it's no small amount of, of distance. Antioch has this very thriving church. The gospel has gone out from Jerusalem into Judea, now into Samaria, and into Samaria, or Syria now. This is where it is being spread, and a very healthy church is being formed there. This church is made up probably of both Jews and Gentiles. And when I say Gentiles, what do I mean? It's people that don't follow the Mosaic Law, don't, for instance, keep a kosher diet. They're they're people that come from other probably religious backgrounds, and they're all making up this church now that's in uh, Antioch. 
The church has prayed, we're told. The church has fasted. And the church has listened as the Holy Spirit has set aside Paul and Barnabas for this journey of going and spreading the gospel now to more of the known world at that time. And the church has a very important function in this. The church's function is to, again, act as this one to recognize that these individuals have a calling from the Holy Spirit and to set them aside for that service. Again, there's a role that missionaries have in in obviously listening to the call of God, but there's a role also that the uh, church has in affirming that calling. And when that happens, yeah, we good? Fifth and sixth graders are dismissed right now. Uh, Maybe there are next round of missionaries that are going to be sent out too. I hope so. All right. Um, So the church has this important call to affirm that, uh, that, that call of the Holy Spirit on their lives. And, you know, whenever that's not done, we're violating some safeguards. You know, the number one reason why missionaries leave the field, did you know why? It's difficulty with other missionaries. That's hard to, hard to swallow, but that's one of the major reasons that people leave the field is because there's just so much junk and turmoil relationally. We hope that the church in its function, one of its functions, is saying, hey, do we have some whole people here? Do we have some people that are ready and spiritually called and mature enough for the rigors of life that will happen in another culture? And we want to make sure that we're you know, not sending perfect people, that's not what I'm saying, but that we are aware that those kinds of tensions are happening and we're sending people that are whole and able to uh, withstand some of that and, and thrive in the midst of some of that. So anyway, the church here is calling Paul and Barnabas. They're noticing that the Holy Spirit has set them aside for this service and they're uh, sending them out for this first, first missionary journey. They're going to take three missionary journeys in total and every time they're done, they come back to Antioch. They're sending church and they report back in, tell them what's happened, kind of fuel up again and then they're sent out for another round the church has the responsibility to reach its own city remember last week jerusalem judea samaria and the ends of the earth well their jerusalem is antioch and their you know the judea is syria their surrounding region and they're responsible to reach that region in the marketplaces and in all the daily places where people are the church is called to do that but not everybody can go out. Not everybody can go far away. So they have some people that are the missionaries that are sent for that important work. Those are the individuals that are going to go speak different languages. Those are the individuals that are going to have uh, different customs that are happening around them that they've got to figure out what's happening, like my friend Dan did with Baish. Those are the things that they've got to digest and, and do as a normal part of their lives. And so biblically speaking, missionaries are sent by the local church after being set aside for the Holy Spirit for the purpose, again, of bringing the gospel to the nations. Here's our definition of a missionary. I hope it's, uh, you know, it's kind of condensed and, and dense there, but I hope you can follow along and get it. A missionary is a Christ follower who is called by the Holy Spirit, set aside, and sent by the local church to bring the gospel to people across cultural, geographic, and linguistic boundaries with the purpose of making a maturing disciple or a fellowship of disciples and so that's what they're doing and they're operating on behalf again of the local church that they're sent by the church reaches its own city and its own region but they're sending out these individuals who are helping us reach the far nations that we can't get to personally ourselves and so again the first missionary journey it's very evident that Paul and Barnabas were crossing some of those linguistic and cultural boundaries 
In fact, I have another map up here for you. And the map is of the first missionary journey. You can't make out all those little cities. But what you can make out is the path. They go out in the blue and they come back in the red. So they basically kind of retrace some steps. You'll notice that they go by boat as they leave Antioch and go to the island of Cyprus. And then they land on the major landmass, which was kind of Asia Minor was the whole area there. They land at Pamphylia and then they make their way up into the Galatian region and they make their way all through some little cities there, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And something very interesting happens in the city of Lystra. And that's where I want to pick up next. By the way, the first missionary journey is covered in Acts 13 and 14. And so we have to move ahead a little bit. We just covered 13 at the start of it. I want to move to the city of Lystra and that's in 14. And as I read this, here's what I want you to listen for. Listen for language or cultural differences. Listen for what they're wading into that is like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. And that's what's going on with them in the city, again, of Lystra. This is why, the way that uh, Luke reports this in the gospel, or excuse me, in the book of Acts. Now, Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. There are massive cultural differences. There are massive misunderstandings that are happening all around this event. They assume somehow because they have this gift of healing that they're gods and they're ready to worship to them. They're even ready to sacrifice an ox to them and they've got to go, no, no, no. All they can do is restrain these people from doing these things and saying, hey, we're just guys like you, but we happen to have a message from God that we want you to hear. Now, we did not go on with the rest of the chapter, but let me tell you how it ends. They stone Paul. One moment they're ready to sacrifice to him, the next minute, They stone him. They consider him dead. He's not. He rises back up, enters the city, and well, he leaves the next day. I probably would too. But that's what is happening. And so many times missionaries cross over cultural and linguistic barriers and they do that at potential harm to themselves. That just comes with the territory. And if we are to reach all the nations, that's what we must do. With that in mind, we've made a distinction that's an important distinction. We want to reach neighbors and nations, and that's what we hope to do. We hope to bring the hope of the gospel to neighbors and nations, and we're defining both of those for you so that you can know what we're doing locally here with much of our neighbors' work and what we're doing sometimes far away with some of our nation's work. Here are the two distinctions I want you to see. Neighbors are those people whom we typically have interaction with without crossing any major cultural, geographic, or linguistic boundaries. Those are typically people like us. 
They're going to speak a language that we are familiar with. They're going to have customs that we're like, yeah, we kind of all get that. Now, again, not all people in Seattle would fit that definition. There are some subgroups in Seattle that have their own language and maybe their own customs, and we would need to cross over in order to reach them. But typically, again, in most of our dealings, we have people that are in the neighbor's category. There are also nations, and those are the people over, all over the world where we typically cross cultural, geographic, and linguistic boundaries in order to reach them. And so we've made this distinction in our movement forward now to say we have some neighbor's work that typically all of us are going to be involved in, and we have some nation's work in which maybe a selected group of us maybe will be involved in because it will take some additional training and really the call of the Holy Spirit to be on a part of a person's life to be sent to do that kind of work. So we hope to bring the gospel, the hope of the gospel, to neighbors and nations, and we have now five priorities that are in the neighbors or nations category two in the neighbors category three in the nations category and if you look at your card on the inside of your card that's the five of them that i'm going to now cover with you in brief this operates as a set of tracks for us almost like railroad tracks so that we can have ways of actually engaging together as a church And again, we've prayed over all five of these and chosen them with some really deliberate uh, purposes in mind. And I hope to tell you about those briefly today. First of all, our first neighbor's attachment or our neighbor's priority is with Vision House. It's also known as Jacob's Well. It is a residential program for women and children who are on the edge of homelessness. And the campus is in Shoreline, very close to us, maybe a 10-minute drive. I've got a a photo here of what the the departments look like where the mothers, uh, some are just moms or or women, but some are mothers, and that's where they stay. And the the Jacob's Well offers a very holistic approach. They not only offer, you know, obviously a place to stay and food, but they're offering a lot of services that individuals need. I was on the website this week for Jacob's Well or or Vision House. That's the bigger organization. The local expression is, again, uh, Jacob's Well. This is what they say. We offer families temporary housing and supportive services so they can work on the difficulties in their lives that have prevented them from achieving independence and self-sufficiency. And then they can move on successfully to permanent housing. This isn't a handout. This is a way for individuals and families to deal with the, the causes of their homelessness. And just to give you an idea, 92% of those uh, women and, and families that are brought into Jacob's Well graduate and enter into a spot in which they have their own stable lives and stable apartments or homes after they're done with the program. 92% success rate. I, I, I like that. And I, I, I'm, I'm happy to partner with an organization that has that level of vitality and that level of really intentionality on what individuals need. What a contrast with our city in Seattle that thinks we can just throw tiny homes at the problem. Sorry, not that easy. People are complicated. And people need more, uh, to, need, need more to address the issues that have brought them to that space. And that's what Jacob's Well is doing. I'm just touching on that a little bit today. Pastor Nick is up next week, and he's going to be talking more about our neighbor's category. And he'll give you more details next week about how we might serve there, how we might make a difference there. All I want you to see today is, is again, that we have this opportunity to make a difference 
in the issue of homelessness with families who are there that need our help, and, and there are practical ways for us to go about doing that. All right. The second thing that I want to bring your attention is uh, the priority of my relational network. Uh, we might call that my natural friendships. God has placed you in the lives of people, and you naturally have these individuals that are in your life. You don't have to look very far to get to them. They're just already there. And God is bringing you to the space where you would bring the hope of the gospel to them. It could be in your own neighborhood. It could be in your school or at your work. Or a great example is kids' sports. I've got a picture here of families on the sidelines. They show up you know, many times a week to the same spot to do the same thing, to cheer on their kids. But oftentimes you can click in and you can say, wow, I'm with all these families and they, there's an opportunity here for me to find out how, who these people are and what's making them tick and perhaps share life with them to the extent that I would even bring uh, the Christ into the, the equation. Who knows that some of those individuals God might be calling to himself right now and you're a part of seeing that all happen. This will not surprise you. But part of my relational network is my pickleball friends. I see them multiple times a week and those are the individuals I know by name. Those are the individuals that I start dialing in their stories, I start dialing in how I might you know, engage with them and it's not hard for me to say I've got a whole network of friends there that God is using me in their lives to reach. All right, next week we're going to identify again how we could make a, a deeper impact in our own relational networks. Nick's gonna help you do that but one of the things I love about my relational network is it's available to everybody. If you're a kid here, you have a relational network. Teen here, you have a relational network. Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, you all have a relational network. We don't need to do anything extra in order to be able to say, God's leading me into the lives of individuals that are already placed right around me. And so we're going to lean into the coming years into, again, this idea of my relational network. All right. The uh, third priority and the first one in the nation's category deals with what is called an unreached people group. And an unreached people group, as I mentioned to you last week, is a group of people who have little opportunity to hear about Christ. They have few churches in their own culture. They have few believers that you would be able to meet. And we have chosen an unreached people group that, well, I think God has brought to us. And it is the Turks from predominantly Turkey. I've got a picture here of some Turkish kids, but I've also got on the next slide a Turkish map. And this is where Turkey is today, if you give me the next slide. Turkey is right here in the middle of this Black Sea region. Ukraine up there where all the fighting is going on. Turkey right there in the center of uh, so much of, uh, of, again, Central Asia right now. And again, Turks are individuals who are in Turkey, but there are other people groups in Turkey. So don't think that all the people in Turkey are all Turks. It's just one of the people groups. But it happens to be the biggest people group. There are 79 million Turks in Turkey, Believe it or not, there's you know, a million that are probably in the United States, predominantly on the East Coast, some here in Seattle. But to give you an idea of how unreached this really people group is, there are 79 million Turks in Turkey and there are 8,000 known believers. There are some churches that have more people in them uh, than all of the people in all of Turkey. And in coming years, I hope, coming months, I hope, 
we're going to figure out, again, how we can form partnerships there, how can we can send individuals there, how we can be engaged in order to see people like Baish in uh, Kyrgyzstan, but who knows the name of it in, in, in Turkey who would come to know our Lord. Who knows, maybe even God would use us to establish some kind of a church there. I'm hoping and dreaming like that, that God has that kind of thing uh, as an opportunity. Uh, Two weeks from now, we are going to have what I'm calling Turk Sunday. We're going to talk more about our nation's work, and I'll talk more about Turkey. And we're going to meet across the street, and we're going to go across the street to have uh, Turkish delight, baklava, Turkish tea, Turkish coffee, which is a whole process in making, by the way. Pastor Eric knows how to do that, so you're going to have a chance to taste that. And we're going to just celebrate Turkish culture. And we're going to celebrate that God has led us to get to know these people on a deeper basis, to pray for them. We're going to watch a little short video about what life is like in Turkey right now. So I'm encouraging you two weeks from today to make your way across the street. I think this is going to be a very exciting journey as we learn more and as we specifically engage the Turks around the world. All right, the next one is Connect Nicaragua. This is uh, where Katie McGrew is leading this ministry. I told you last week she was a missionary that was sent out from this church. We're proud of Katie and all the work that she's done, and we want to go deeper in relationship with her. One of the great things about Nicaragua is it's a short flight away for us. It's a culture in which many of us are kind of playing around a little bit with Spanish, so we get to do, uh, practice a language that some of us are not proficient in, but we're trying in, so that makes it a, a nice little place to go. It's also a place where many of us, for the first time, are really in touch with poverty. Uh, Nicaragua can be a very poor country. And that's a wake-up call for all of us uh, in our area especially to say, wow, this is the way much of the rest of the world lives, and it's usually heartbreaking in a very, very good way. We would like to partner more deeply with Katie. She knows that. And Katie made a video from us from her backyard in Nicaragua. I want you to watch this. Here we go. Good morning, guys. My name is Katie McGrew. I'm here in Managua, Nicaragua. Um, I am the founder and director of Connect Ministries um, and have lived here for the last 12 years. My home is at CCF. My kids were raised at CCF and I grew a lot at CCF. Actually, before um, I went on my first mission trip that I begrudgingly went on, um, I was happy just to be at CCF all day long and forevermore. But something happened and God got me out of my comfort zone and um, I met a new culture and that was actually really close by at the Swinomish Reservation. Um, what God did in my heart that um, that those few days was incredible. And that incredible um, change in me started to stir and started to become a desire that I have for every person I know. And so God eventually brought me to Nicaragua, the place I really never wanted to come, um, and just continues to open my heart every single day. I'm excited to partner with you um, because I know that as you step into something that's uncomfortable, something that is out of the ordinary for you, God is going to do the same thing in your life. He's going to, he's going to change your heart. He's going to become more real in your every single day. Um, Jesus isn't just Sundays. Jesus isn't just with Christian friends. Jesus is always, and he is always at work and wanting us to have eyes to see what he's doing and to share it with other people. And so that's why um, we started Connect, just to connect people with Jesus and others. Um, I look forward 
to sharing with you how I step awkwardly and excitingly into relationships with many people and, um, and to help you in that process. And I also am excited to be a first step for a lot of you in um, going farther, whether it's going farther in the gospel with people that are right around you at work, or if it's going farther into the gospel, into a place where you don't speak the language and you've never imagined um, going. So this is a great place to start. I We call our short-term trips serve and learn because really um, you learn a lot when you come with a heart to serve and a heart to learn. You don't know this culture. I didn't know this culture. And the longer I live here, the more I know that I will never completely know this culture. And so all I can be is a learner. And so if you think you don't have anything to offer, if you're scared to step out, would you just try? Would you come? You're welcome here. You're welcome to bring all of your insecurity and all of your questions to Nicaragua. And I will share with you just what it took for me to get here. I never imagined this is where I'd be. I never imagined this is where I would raise my kids and then send them out from. But God knew all along that this is where we would be. And he prepared a place long before it was ever in my heart to be here. So I look forward to sharing with you. Thank you, CCF, for um, for sticking with us through all these years. And um, finally, um, I just look forward to um, having many of you here with us. So I'm just gonna turn the camera around if I can. I can't, so I'm not gonna turn the camera around, but you're just gonna go with me. So, well, that's our parking lot. That's not very exciting. And then that's dining room, cabins down there. It's just beautiful. So I hope to see you soon. Thank you. God bless you all. Yeah, I love Katie. And can you feel the mother's heart in her? It's one of the things that makes her so effective is she's just so disarming, so real. And so many have gone to Nicaragua with us and have been changed. And I'm hoping that many of you will go. You heard the tropical birds in the background. February, Nicaragua, I'm thinking that could be feeling pretty good and nice and warm place. Uh, don't think of it as vacation because it won't be. Uh, Katie will take you to places that will stretch you significantly. But we want to go deeper in our connection with uh, Katie and, and Connect Nicaragua. All right, there's one more on the list. It's international students. And you might be saying, hey, wait just a second. International students, wouldn't that be in the neighbors category? Because they're right next to us. It's like, no, it still is in that nations category because God is bringing the nations to us. People that, again, have very different backgrounds, cultural uh, understandings. And, you know, again, we all struggle when we're meeting in, in international students oftentimes to understand exactly what's happening. Let me give you an example of that. Denise and I have had many international students in our homes. And years ago, we had a lot of international students that lived with us. And Toshi was one of our favorites. Denise had Toshi arrive for the very first day. And she was taking him around to show him uh, our home. Showed him his room. She showed him, the, again, the kitchen. We went into the laundry room. And Denise said, Toshi, so uh, this is everything you know, that's here. Uh, I hope you'll understand. Yes, yes. Well, I was wondering if you have any questions. Yes, yes. What would those questions be? Yes, yes. And it was very evident. Toshi was gonna, kind of picking up a lot, but not picking up a lot, if you know what I mean. And, 
you know, one of the things that's true about Japanese culture is that disharmony is a very bad thing. So they're never going to say no. It's almost always yes or maybe. And because, again, you don't want to break any kind of a, a, a cultural cue there and you want to keep as much harmony as you can. Well, we learned that about Japanese students. We learned that about Toshi. I'm happy to report that he left with flawless English. He really did. And it was just awesome. He went back to Japan, actually, to take his father's business back over. I bring that to your attention to say it is a significant step to welcome somebody in your home or into your life who is significantly different from you, who speaks a different language, comes from a very different culture. And that's what happens when you are engaging with an international student. Opportunities galore. UW, uh, Edmonds Community College, even King's uh, High School now has some international students there. I will tell you more in two weeks about how we might engage with international students at a deeper level. Some of that's tailed off because of COVID, but I think it's coming back and it's going to be really a great opportunity for us. So international students are that fifth priority. All right, what do we do with all this? Pastor Nick next week is going to talk to you again about neighbors and dial in more deeply. I'm going to talk in two weeks about nations, dial in more deeply. But what you can do is on the back of the card, and you'll notice there are three words that are on the back of the card. Those words are learn, serve, and sacrifice. All of us will take that path in one of those areas, maybe one or two. You're not going to do all five, I guarantee you. None of us has time or inclination for that. But my hunch is God's going to nudge you in one of those areas and say, I want you to take this path. You'll start on a path of learning. For instance, if you're learning about Jacob's well, you're going to say, what is their approach? What are they about? When did they begin? How do they address homelessness? I want to understand that. And you're going to become a learner. You're going to go serve at some point. You're going to put your hands on something meaningful. Some people you're going to meet and you're going to begin to engage. And that's all part of the process. And ultimately, you will arrive at a spot in which God is calling you to make a sacrifice, to give something of yourself to somebody else for the sake of the gospel, and you're going to be sacrificing in some way. Here's what I'm predicting will happen. You'll sacrifice for people you love. And as you're serving with somebody, you're going to learn how to love somebody, and that will lead you to sacrifice. Denise and I have learned about Cubans, and we love Cubans. And that's what leads us to sacrifice on their behalf. And so again, that is what's going to occur. Right now, I want you to pray about what God would lead you to do. I want you to pray and say, Lord, what of these five priorities resonates most with me? What do I want to learn more about? What am I going to be especially tuned in for in the next week or two in order that I would be part of the, of the, the overall goal of ours, which is to bring the hope of the gospel to neighbors and to nations? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this body who over so many years has been uh, faithful and fruitful for you. We're praying that this is the beginning now of something that is brand new and something that is exciting, that is an adventure, that is part of our calling that's bound up with you. You're reaching neighbors and nations because you love people. And we want to also. So use us in a coordinated fashion for your gospel purposes. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.